0: Delta.
1: Yes. What do you think of Oprah? I'm a big fan of the Oprah Winfrey talk show. Yeah. But I always also think of Oprah as far as like hairstyles because Mm. she had so many and they can sort of remind you of exactly when that was. And Mm -hmm. I really loved Oprah. Big hair Oprah. Um, Yes. Yeah, I love that.
0: My mom would watch it when I was little. And then in high school, I became like an Oprah hater just because I was – Everything hater, and I was like, "That's silly, Uh (laughs) like Oprah, whatever." Uh huh. But then she gave away all those cars. Yeah, I want a car.
1: This is Fierce Rivalries
0: with me, Delta Work. And with me, Kelsey Padgett. Each week I tell Delta the true story behind an infamous or an underrated rivalry with all the dramatic and sometimes petty twists and turns. And then I'll declare the winner, but not every
1: story has a victor. Sometimes it's just about who loses more.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. It's got cannibalism, Hmm. cows, and Oprah, of course. Duh! (laughs) I don't
1: think there's anybody that can rival Oprah, so I'm I'm curious as to what this is going to be, because it has to be like Oprah versus Jesus, or like Oprah versus oxygen.
0: (laughs) Totally unrelated. How much do you like burgers, hamburgers? I love hamburgers, but
1: um, I'm really... Sort of picky in the sense that, oh, it's so funny I say I'm picky. I'm not that picky. I have preferences, but I generally, like, uh, if I get, like, a McDonald's, if I go to McDonald's, I like to have the two cheeseburger combo, but I have to Mm -hmm. have them plain. I don't want any sauce or pickles or anything on them. But if I have, like, a gourmet burger, as it is, Mm -hmm. uh, I like all kinds of stuff on it.
0: I hate those little onions at McDonald's. You don't like those? Get out of here, tiny onions. Well, anyway. Okay. We could go off about onions. Right. But today, burgers and Oprah. Oh, the beef industry. (laughs) There you go.
1: (laughs) I knew this was coming. So you
0: say, oh, the beef industry. Tells me that you're you're familiar. Oprah had a
1: beef with the beef industry.
0: But I don't really remember (laughs) all the intricacies.
1: I don't remember if it was like she was going vegan maybe. I don't know. I mean, it could be anything. Or she was telling people not to eat it because... Mm You know, tell me all of it.
0: I'm going to tell you all about it. All of it. And I got to say, there's going to be some gross meat stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> in this today. So if you don't want to hear that, um, this is your sign. I, I should say, if anybody's not familiar with Oprah, Oprah Winfrey was a daytime talk show host and her show, The Oprah Winfrey Show, ran from 1986 to 2011. At its peak, it had 42 million viewers a week. And the era that we're going to talk about is the mid-90s. At this time, Oprah had successfully molded her show into something different than the rest of the daytime TV landscape. Instead of being like shock value TV, like, you are not the father, or... My cousin slept with my husband and then married my aunt. Her show became what she liked to call Change Your Life TV. Mm-hmm. She was doing spirituality and health stuff and just like self-improvement stuff to create positive change in her viewers' lives. Oprah walked so Goop could run.
1: <laughs> mm. I mean, I love the idea of, you know, constantly wanting to improve and evolve, but I feel like there's so many people that sort of regurgitate the same thing over and over. Sometimes it feels like It only applies to people who don't have, um, like, real-time problems that they're kind of dealing with.
0: Right. We can't all eat, pray, love every summer. (laughs)
1: We just can't. We should (laughs) be able to find the time to do it, but...
0: Right. Well, Oprah would also have you know, topics that were serious. She'd talk about racism, sexual abuse, and addiction on the show. Mm -hmm. She really wanted her viewers to also be reading. So she started Oprah's Book Club. Right. Her first selection was in September 1996. The book was called The Deep End of the Ocean, and it only had 100,000 copies in print. After she plugged it on her show, it sold 3 million more Wow. And just like the books, every time she talked about a product on her show, that product would have increased sales. This became known as the Oprah effect. Mm -hmm. Some have even claimed that the Oprah effect gave Barack Obama one million extra votes in 2008. Oh, wow. Okay, Celebrity endorsement's a big deal. True. But in 1996, the Oprah effect... Worked backwards; it backfired and landed Oprah in a rivalry with an entire industry—the beef industry. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, so 1996, Bill Clinton is the president. One of my favorite songs—it's all coming back to me now—by Celine Dion yeah. on the radio. Twister just came out. Love that movie. Uh-huh. Fargo, Train Spotting. This is the time that we're in. And on April 16th of 1996, Oprah aired an episode on food safety with a segment called Dangerous Foods. Okay. And here is where we're going to have some gross cow stuff. One part of her episode focused on mad cow disease. Do you remember mad cow disease? I do.
1: I do. There was always, there's always the times where it's like the mad cow disease or bird flu or mm-hmm. uh, obviously now COVID. All mm-hmm. you have to just mention those, and I'm like, I remember who I was at that time, what I was doing. Oh yeah, or, you know, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, mad cow disease.
0: Blast from the past. So mad cow disease was on everybody's tongues in 1996. Um, hopefully, it's not on your tongue though, because mad no. cow disease is very deathly. So it is bovine spongiform encephalopathy. It's a neurodegenerative disease, meaning it wastes away the brain. Mm-hmm. You can get it as a human if you eat beef from a cow who has had mad cow disease right yeah it's very scary because there's not a cure all you can do is just sort of be like well here we go and also like you could contract it and then not have symptoms for many years but once symptoms start then it is most definitely fatal so in 1996 there was an outbreak of mad cow disease in the uk at this time it had caused 10 deaths eventually it ended up causing 178 deaths But at the time in 1996, it was it was down at 10 deaths. Mm -hmm. British ranchers, they were destroying the cows that they had found were infected with mad cow. But the disease was continuing to spread to other cows and then therefore to humans who ended up dying. It's very tragic. And they were like, why is this happening? Why are we still spreading this disease, even though we are killing the cows that have it? Well... There is a practice amongst farmers that goes back to the 1800s, and it is that you use everything. And so if a cow is destroyed or killed, it would be rendered and then turned into a substance called MBM, meat and bone meal. Okay. And then MBM was used as a protein supplement in the feed for other cows.
1: This didn't cross anyone's mind that this... Uh, wow, okay. Oh, that is
0: disturbing. It's so disturbing. Cow yeah. cannibalism. Yeah. You know, so they stop doing this in the UK once they find out that this is the cause, right? But on the Oprah show, she's telling the audience about this for the first time. She has a vegetarian animal rights activist who... His name is Howard Lyman, and he's like, if you... Turn just one infected cow into a protein supplement, then it can go on to infect thousands of other cows, and that it would be really horrible if that happened here. Right, and it's true. In the UK, they ended up having to incinerate four million cows. Wow, to stop the spread of this. Yeah, but then Howard Lyman made some really big claims on Oprah Show. That it was probably already present amongst American cattle, and that it was oh. could be so bad that it would make AIDS look like the common cold. That's a claim. yeah. That's quite the thing to say, right?
1: Yeah, uh, that's, that can be dangerous when you don't have, when you you're just surmising.
0: Right. I don't know. It's like a, just a very scary thing to say. And Oprah doesn't really question him on it. She's just like, "Whoa. Turns out. This doesn't happen, obviously. We're living here way past 1996, and I haven't really heard about mad cow in a long time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There has only ever been six cows in the U.S. that that contracted mad cow. And the first one wasn't till 2003. So so Howard Lyman, he's telling Oprah that the mad cow is probably already here, and it's going to make everybody dead, and it's so crazy, and it's very shocking. And Oprah is shocked, too. And, you know, what she says next on the show has – Some huge consequences. Oprah turns to the audience and she says, Now, doesn't that concern you all a little bit, hearing that? It has just stopped me cold from eating another burger. I'm stopped. I mean, it it feels kind of innocuous to me. Well, I mean, the people
1: are very, very swayed by celebrities that they follow. So Mm -hmm. if you really are, and I mean, maybe this is a dangerous word, but if you're sort of indoctrinated by, I follow Mm. this person and what they do and what they say, and I'm not saying that that that's Oprah's goal, um, but there are people out there that are like, I just want to live a great life. I need to kind of follow this person. And, you know, kind of like when keto became sort of a thing and people were like, oh, you got in order to lose weight, you have to do keto. And so it becomes a thing where people just sort of follow one another because they know that. At least it sounds like if you do this, you're not at least you're not gonna get mad cow disease. So all right. you have to give up is this hamburger and I could just eat chicken. I think people just follow because they hear it and maybe they sort yeah. of some people also use the wrong, the wrong shows and the wrong voices as news.
0: Yeah. yeah. So they're like, oh, Oprah is news. Right, Oprah in fact used to be a news anchor. Right, so that's especially right. confusing. But the Oprah Winfrey Show is not journalism. They even say we are entertainment. But it's hard when you don't have her fact checking.
1: Especially when you're reaching that many people. I mean, it's one thing to be like yeah. a, a niche place where you're just kind of giving your like opinion, but yeah, like you know, we are reaching. A zillion people. <laughs> so we also have to guide this a little bit just for safety.
0: You know, and this is something that starts here, but will be seen a lot later in in Oprah's career, too, that she sort of presents people who are into pseudoscience as right. if whatever they're saying is true, you know? Yeah. Well, anyway, we could debate the merits of... This, But Oprah says this thing. She says, it has just stopped me cold from eating another burger. She doesn't say, like, I'm off meat or this is my new diet. She just mm-hmm. says that, that sentence there. After this show aired, the beef prices dropped. And they dropped from $61.90 to $55 oh, wow. per 100 pounds of beef. Okay. So – According to the the folks in the beef industry, this is like a huge drop. And Oprah's words are what caused people to stop eating as much beef. They called this downturn the Oprah crash. And they claimed that this was the lowest cattle prices in a decade and that the effect of her saying that lasted approximately 11 weeks. Wow. So that's big. And did she address this? Yes, you will hear about it. So so this brings us to the rivalry. We have Oprah on her one side, and on the other side, you've got the beef industry, right? But specifically, you have this one guy, this Texas cattle rancher named Paul Ingler. He saw the Oprah segment, and he said, I couldn't help but be infuriated. I sat there and I hardly believed what I was seeing. You shouldn't be able to just say anything and get away with it. So Paul Engler, he's this super powerful cowboy <laughs> in the okay. U.S., you know, litter, a literal cowboy in the sense that he raises cattle. He constantly wore a big white Stetson, a big white cowboy hat. Uh huh.
1: I like a cowboy hat, but I never realized uh, to – how expensive cowboy hats can oh, be. Yeah. Or cow person hats. I don't know. Yes. Um what wh- sure. ranch hats. Maybe maybe we don't even need cow hats and it. maybe it's a ranch hat. Um mm-hmm. to to make it more um for everyone. I'm a big fan of like very decorated like uh like Vegas-y Hollywood take oh, yeah. on 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 that. So like uh, you know, Buck Owens or or uh, uh Dwight Yoakum. Like I mm. I love like the moody suits. Yes, where it's like a cropped yeah. jacket with, you know, I love all and mm-hmm. all the sequin and turquoise mm-hmm. and hot mm-hmm. pink or all black with silver. I you actually see that quite a bit too in um uh, Mexican mariachi costume, uh, yes. the, the, the charro suits and all of that are so beautiful. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, back to our story. Okay. Paul Engler, he's a fancy man wearing his cowboy fanciness on the daily, but he is also big-time cattle rancher. A friend said that uh, that Paul Engler once took him up in his helicopter over his ranch to show him this lake. And he's like, look how beautiful it looks in the sunset, the lake I have on my, my property here. And then he took the helicopter down lower to show his friend, oh, it was a prank. It's not a lake. It's a um, <laughs> a ravine full of cow piss. Ew. Basically. It's not a lake of water. It was just cow urine because he has so many cows on his property.
1: <laughs> and do they know to go over there and urinate or do they? I think it
0: was just like downhill from where all the cows were. Okay. Anyway, isn't that disgusting? It's This filthy. is a very cowboy guy. You know, he lives and breathes cows. And he's the president of a cattleman group in the Texas Panhandle. So the Texas Panhandle is that like top sort of chimney looking part or Mm -hmm. handle of a pan if you turn Texas sideways. Um, (laughs) It's flat. It's arid. And some might say there are more cows out there than people. (laughs) And urine. (laughs) Right. Caitlin, our EP here, is from the area, and she said that um, when the wind shifts, you can smell the feedlots. You can smell the cows.
1: Say it again. When the wind shifts, that's something you, you would say to someone. Cows. Yeah, it's like almost a threat. When the wind shifts, when the wind shifts,
0: you when can, shifts, you, can hit, you can smell the cow patties. Cow patties. <laughs> so anyway, I, I guess what I'm just trying to tell you is that it's a very cow-centric area. Yeah, cows. Yeah. It's the lifeblood of well, you, this. They
1: pride themselves. Like people, That happens kind of anywhere, right? Like, if you're known mm-hmm. for something, it, it becomes the culture. It becomes yeah. something that you sort of not just, uh, it's not just your livelihood. It's, it's your pride.
0: So Paul Engler, he sees this Oprah segment and he says, this shouldn't be allowed. We're losing money out here because Oprah said she's not eating burgers. He reaches out to a lawyer and that lawyer says, you know what? I recently learned about a law. That'll help us with this. <laughs> a new okay. law. It's called the perishable food law. So Paul gathers up his fellow cattlemen, and together they sue Oprah for twelve million dollars in lost beef revenue.
1: So Oprah takes out her her change purse. <laughs> She's like, "Here, now, shut up."
0: Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> yeah,
1: here you go. Give me a Beyond Burger. Fuck off. <laughs>
0: Paul's lawsuit claims that Oprah let Lyman, the activist, lie about the cattle business without sufficiently challenging his claims. OK, so who's which side are you on here? Do you feel like Oprah is innocent and just expressing her opinion and having people inform the public? Or do you think that she was being negligent with what she was presenting to her public?
1: Yeah, I, I think she was being a, a a bit negligent and flip. And I think because she is, uh, you know. Her name's on the show. Yeah. She has some responsibility. There had to be some other, somebody counteracting that, at least represented Mm -hmm. counteracting, saying, well, I'm actually from the industry. And as much as you're stating your opinion that it's gross, I'm telling you that based on these statistics, it's this way. Now, if based on those two things, you are saying you don't want to eat a hamburger, by all means, don't eat
0: it. Mm-hmm, um, and this mm-hmm. is
1: your show, and you're allowed to give that opinion.
0: Yep, totally. We're going to take a quick break. Then we'll hear about how it goes for Oprah when she heads into enemy territory. Amarillo, Texas.
1: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? no.
0: Well, okay, back here, 1996, the Paul Engler is going to sue her. He says, I'm suing you for this. But what? what is he going to sue her for? Well, it turns out, uh, and Paul Engler's lawyer knew this, that there was recently a law passed that, that would deal with this specific situation. So I'm going to do one of my very favorite activities, which is to take you into a quick side story. <laughs> side story. Uh- <laughs> So let's go to 1989, not okay. that many years before this. Um, 60 Minutes, which is a journalistic show, runs a segment on apple growers in Washington state. Now, these growers were using a chemical, and that chemical was called alar, on their apples. And this this chemical regulates growth and color, making for prettier, crunchier apples. The report on 60 Minutes claimed that the chemical caused cancer, And according to one article after the segment, the public panicked. School systems removed apples from cafeterias, supermarkets took them off their shelves, and orchard owners lost millions. It was such a big deal that (laughs) that even celebrities brought up the cause. Meryl Streep founded a group called Mothers and Others for Pesticide Limits.
1: Wow. Mothers and Others.
0: Mothers and Others. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the apple growers, they sued 60 Minutes. And what they sued for was libel. They said, you know, you're lying about us on TV. And this crazy thing happened. I still can't put my head around how this happened. But the apple growers waged such a successful PR campaign that in the public sphere, any mention of alar or cancerous apples or chemicals on apples was then met with with the word scare. Everybody just decided this was a big scare. Mm -hmm. This wasn't true. But the thing is, that chemical was poisonous. It was a real thing. It was a real thing. And that over a prolonged consumption, it did pose a a probable cancer risk. And it was later banned in the U.S. And the libel case that the Apple business brought against 60 Minutes, they lost that case over and over again because 60 Minutes was not lying. (laughs) 60 Minutes was telling the truth. Mm. But the public perception was that this was a big scare made up by the media. So 13 different states by 1994 passed laws to make it harder for places like 60 Minutes to talk about apples like this and other other food products. The slang for them was called veggie libel laws. And Texas had passed one of these laws where the cattlemen were suing from. The Texas law prohibits false disparagement of perishable food products. Hmm. That's really – it's so crazy to me that this was true and 60 Minutes got all of this shit for telling the truth. Right. So that was our – Side story. <laughs> Back to our main story. Flash forward. 1996, Paul Engler and his cattleman buddies sue Oprah using the Texas veggie libel laws. Right. They claim that Oprah cost them $12 million in lost revenue and that Lyman, Howard Lyman, the activist, was uh, deliberately and recklessly making false statements about the cattle industry. So, as you alluded to before, Oprah had a choice. She could settle this out of court. You know, Mm -hmm. give them the few pennies they're asking for in the world of Oprah, right? Right. 12 million. Or, you know, settle for like a lower amount probably, which is what most celebrities and production companies do (laughs) when they're involved in any kind of lawsuit like this. But for Oprah, she really felt that this was about free speech. And so she decides to go through with a trial in front of a jury. Which is so wild because cases never get to trial. Right. Like for a case to get to a trial, like there's been so many attempts at that not happening, like no matter what kind of case it is. But Oprah says, nope, we're going to do it. I think that these guys are totally wrong and I'm not going to give them a penny. Let's take it to court. That takes about two years to happen um, because law stuff takes time. But now it's 1998 and (laughs) Oprah's trial is about to begin. What complicates things is that Oprah is in Chicago, right? That's where the Oprah show is filmed out of. She has to physically be in Texas for this trial. And she has to record her show. It's a daily show. How is she going to do both? Take it to Texas. Take it to Texas. So that's what she does. She moves her whole production team, everybody from the, you know, busy life of Chicago. They're all going to go to Amarillo, Texas. 65 members of her production crew and her personal staff. They rent out this like whole floor of a hotel. They rent out a local theater to film the show in. Oprah herself rents out an entire B and B where her and her personal staff stay, like her chef and all of those people. Wow! So it's like a big cultural clash.
1: <laughs> moment. Yeah, I wonder what the people of Texas were thinking because obviously they wanted. Uh, you're going to want to defend your brand. Literally, no pun pun intended because you literally brand animals. But uh, yeah, I mean, especially if it's sort of like a quiet area. Mm -hmm. It sounds like Hollywood's coming to town. Yeah, yeah. uh, And all this flash.
0: Exactly. Amarillo at the time was a town of 165,000 people. um, So not very big. The biggest attraction in town is the Big Texan Steak Ranch, which is famous for its food-eating challenge. They have a 72-ounce steak and then all the fixins, so a potato, a salad, rolls. I'm ready for it. And you it. have to eat it all in one hour. And if you win, if you do it, it's free. Watch me. Um <laughs>
1: Watch so me. now i
0: have always wanted to go try that
1: <laughs> i tell you what i if i did that i would definitely go over to that uh that fake lake uh-huh and i would i would be there for a while i would be there for any it all run downhill i'm telling you Woo! can you imagine lake <laughs> yeah can you imagine the aftermath of something like that no, no. That's, Mm-mm. Bad.
0: Mm-mm. that's bad
1: that's bad
0: So basically what I'm trying to tell you is the town is all about cattle. It's all about
1: beef. It's not about talk shows.
0: No. When you come in the airport, there's a sign that tells you that this part of Texas supplies 25% of the U.S.'s beef every year. Imagine being Oprah walking into the airport and you see that. (laughs) And it's worth mentioning that this group of people are coming from Chicago, like a metropolitan place with a diverse population, coming to Amarillo, Texas. Oprah said, I felt like I was walking into enemy territory and I feared for my life, literally. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine so. Well, the people of Amarillo were kind of split on this. So many worked in the cattle industry or knew people who worked in the cattle industry and therefore were like, "Wow, well, this sucks that Oprah messed with the prices of cattle. But also, this is the biggest thing to happen in the town in like at least 25 years. Like, this is so exciting, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. When Oprah arrived, she was greeted by bumper stickers that read, the only mad cow in Texas is Oprah.
1: I'm real picky about putting bumper stickers on my car because I feel like, I don't know. What if my opinion changes?
0: Right. It feels very temporary.
1: Yeah. And what if I put something on and somebody's like, oh, that's reason enough for me to bash your windows Oof, in.
0: Yeah. The The only mad cow in Texas is Oprah person. I feel like is more likely to bash in other windows than to have their windows bashed in.
1: Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true.
0: Other folks in town were ecstatic for Oprah to be there. Everybody wanted to get passes to the live studio audience, right? Oprah's filmed in front of a live studio audience. She's written out the the local theater. So, you know, people get to go to it and they're very excited about it. Uh, It was said that several times during her stay there, and remember this is 1998, that all the phone lines got tied up, all of the landlines, and that you couldn't get a dial tone because everybody was calling in trying to get tickets. You know, Oprah returned the love. She would mention local restaurants and cafes on her show. She'd always sign autographs for people. She took communion at the local church and she always told locals how much she was enjoying their town. You know, and Mm -hmm. Oprah was bringing all these celebrities into town to be on her show while, you know, the trial was happening. She had. Uh, Halle Berry was a guest, Patrick Swayze, Hanson, Carol O'Connor, who is Archie Bunker. Oh my gosh, Hanson, um, <laughs> Hansen, David Schwimmer, and Celine Dion all came to town just for Oprah. It was said that they that these celebrities would ride around in Texas limos, limos that had like a uh, uh, horns on the front, like a long horn. Yes, I love that, <laughs> right. They say she puts half a million dollars into the town every two weeks, was a quote from a a newspaper. Wow. Soon, bumper stickers started showing up that say, Amarillo loves Oprah. And one 14-story building hung a huge banner off that said, peace and love to Oprah.
1: I wonder how true that feeling was when she was like, if she did go around to like places. I wonder how true that feeling was uh, just because... There's parts of our country, obviously, that aren't comfortable with women in power. Right. Certainly with black women in power. Yeah, Certainly people that have spoken against what what brings their livelihood. I mean, mm-hmm. I wonder if people were just being nice because they're like, this is good while she's here. But when she leaves, then we're still going to bring out our real <laughs> disdain for her. Right.
0: Yeah, and we'll definitely see that disdain come out soon, because after the break, we head into the courtroom and the trial unfolds. All right, so the trial, what is happening at this trial? The judge was Mary Lou Robinson. But for us today, I'm going to have you, Delta, be our judge on several little okay. things that I'm going to okay. ask you. I'm ready. The honorable Delta work um, <laughs> rule on this, okay? OK? Oprah's lawyer says, we would like to get a change of venue. We don't think that there's any way that the jury is not going to be very pro-cattle here in Amarillo. So we would like... To change to a different place, a different city, maybe still in Texas, but a less cattle-heavy area. What would you judge on this? I
1: mean, yeah, I I think as long as it's taking place still in Texas, I've never understood the concept of – you're going to be judged by a jury of your peers. Yeah. Like, I know this is a different situation, but I've never understood that because I thought, I always think, well, okay, well, great. A jury of my peers, if that's the case, then if I'm charged with something, I would love for you to bring in here 12, 47-year-old Hispanic homosexuals who do drag for a living, <laughs> and I would like for them to judge me. Yeah. And they can say, because that sounds like my peer. Right. I don't want you to bring in here... 12 people uh, between the ages of 60 and 78 yep. who have always worked in the military. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's fair. No. Of course, I'm being, you know, I, I'm being facetious. I, I don't sure. want, but what I'm saying is a little bit of representation. Can <laughs> I at least get half of the people on here to be queer people? Right. I think I'm I'm okay with it. I, I, I see the change of venue. I'm good with that.
0: Okay. So Judge Delta says, you could change the venue. <laughs> Yes. Um, All right. So Judge Robinson, on the other hand, she said, no way. The case stays here in Amarillo. So, you know, that's a loss for Oprah's side. Her jury ended up being eight women and four men. Everybody was white. And at least two of them were connected to the cattle industry, possibly more. So here's another thing I'd like you to judge on. Texas's veggie libel law that we talked about, you know, coming out of the Apple debacle, uh-huh. um, it specifies that it prohibits false disparagement of perishable food products. Would you say that this case falls under that law?
1: Uh, I think so. I mean, m- meat is a perishable food. Mm-hmm. I feel like the law applies 100%. I feel like it applies. I'm going to stay with that.
0: Well, Delta says, law applies. Mm-hmm. Well... Judge Robinson, she says, "No, okay. Cattle are not perishable food products. Cattle can live for. Oh, because this is
1: not a law against the USDA. No, or beef as after it's been
0: right cut into beef. These are the people suing are people who have cows, not right? People who okay,
1: i meat processing. I cats. didn't think that out at all. I see what she's saying. Uh huh."
0: Yeah. Okay. Which I think is like I was surprised by that. I felt like wow. So this is like a huge loss for Engler and the other cattlemen, because basically they wouldn't have sued without this law because it's a it's a less strict definition of defamation or libel. Right. Because this is going to be hard for them to prove that they personally were affected by Oprah because she didn't call out these people by name. She didn't go on air and say, Paul Engler raises cows that have mad cow. She didn't say cows that come from the Texas panhandle are more likely to give you mad cow disease. And that's kind of something you need for defamation is to be, Mm -hmm. you know, called out by name. So here's another thing to rule on. At one point during the trial, Oprah is actually on the witness stand. She says at one point the cattleman's lawyer was real fired up and yelling at her or maybe just projecting. But she says yelling at her. And she says that he was spitting on her because he was so fired up like that there was lots of spittle coming out of his mouth. Um, So her lawyer got up and objected and said, hey, stop spitting on Oprah. (laughs) What would you okay. do if you were the judge at that
1: moment? I always think like it shouldn't be fair in any court case for people to be yelling yeah I don't think it's necessary. I think it's definitely it's those histrionics I don't know mm-hmm. what like what what it is specifically but like it's just a thing it's like the showmanship mm-hmm. which many lawyers are known for but it's sad because I don't think a, a court case, or court in general, is a place for entertainment. Mm. But many of them know, well, we need to get somebody really showy in here, so that way the jury can be swayed a little bit. It's kind of like when they show something and they're like, oh, no, strike that from the jury. They already saw it. I don't care how many people say, I'm not going to remember it, or I'm not going to consider it. You're going to consider it. You're going to remember it. I just believe that to be 100% true. No matter what you say, you can write on the paper, oh, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> I'm not going to think about it. Yes, you are. Yes, you, you are. You can't. It's already in your mind. Yep. So you would say, lawyer, quit it. Quit spitting on Oprah. Quit it. Stop spitting on people. <laughs> Stand back. Also, so don't get—how about this? How about just <laughs> nobody's allowed to get within 10 feet of the box?
0: Oh, that would be good. Just nobody. Yeah,
1: yeah. Just stay away. Yeah.
0: Not even um, Jonathan Groff can spit that far. Uh, Right. Who famously is very spitty. (laughs) Right. Don't get close. Mm -hmm. Don't raise your voice. Great. That's it. I love that. I love your court. Well, again, Delta, (laughs) Judge Judge Robinson. Judge said no.
1: Go vomit on Oprah, please. (laughs) You're allowed to vomit. (laughs) Judge Robinson and you. are allowed to take a shit in your hands and throw it. (laughs) You can do whatever you want. (laughs) Come on. Judge, I would be the worst judge, apparently. <laughs> I
0: think you'd be a great judge. I just think this lady and you have so. different <laughs> ideas about what's going on. So Judge Robinson overrules the motion. Now, th- of course. this moment, I tell you about it because it really stuck with Oprah. She was like, oh, OK, here, here we are in this place and it's OK that I'm getting spit on. Wow. You know, she has talked about this case and this moment being like traumatic for her that to have these people yelling in her face, calling her a liar, saying that she purposely lied on TV about beef. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that she purposely was trying to like amp up the audience against beef that she felt like, you know, she just did what she thought was right. Something about Oprah that people connect with is her authenticity. She's very mm-hmm. authentically herself on TV. That's her job. But in the face of these accusations, she was a hard time being herself, you know, confidently herself because she's getting yelled at and like, you know, questioned and told that she's a liar. So, she got a trial coach for before she went on the the witness stand to to help her in those moments, you know, not crumble under the pressure. That trial coach was a guy named Phil McGraw. Do you recognize that name?
1: Dr. Phil.
0: It's Dr. Phil! Wow. So she, of course, went on to make him famous on her show. And we can debate about whether or not that's a good thing because, poof, Dr. Phil's done some stuff. But... Does Dr. Phil even have a doctorate? He does have a doctorate. It's in clinical psychology, but he doesn't have a license to practice. He used to, but he hasn't renewed it since 2006.
1: <laughs> okay. I mean, listen, I I subscribe to the theories of Dr. Shirley Kenyon from the movie Straight Talk mm. and who said that she's a doctor of the heart oh. and a doctor of love as portrayed by Dolly Parton in the 90s. Oh. So, yeah, she said she's a doctor. She's a doctor of the Dr. heart. So, you know, heart. Shirley Kenyon could say
0: it. Sure. Why can't you know, why Dr. Not? Phil say that? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, what's good for the goose. But mm. anyway, I, I just wanted to take a side road to let you know that Dr. Phil comes out of this we would not have dr phil if it was not for this right. case which is wild to me well anyway back to 1998 the, back to the trial uh howard lyman the activist uh who was on the show mm-hmm. said mad cow would be like aids or would make aids look like the common cold they had him testify and he did not do well Uh-oh. <laughs> lyman said that his comments on the show were based on his experience as a former cattle rancher I was there to give my opinion on the risk factors of whether mad cow disease could happen here. I believe I did that. And the lawyer said, show me the facts that you have based your comments on. And Lyman said, no one can say a future event has facts associated with it. Uh, Okay. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Which is so like, um, what is that thing Kellyanne Conway said when Trump was president? Alternative
1: alternative, alternative facts.
0: facts come on <laughs> so so lyman did not do any good for oprah he looked like a liar you know that's not helpful that his name is lyman
1: are people just afraid of science because eventually someone is going to have to say you're right and i'm wrong
0: oh I i'm think right so. and you're wrong yeah
1: that's, it's just it's simple, and we're and you're going to have to go now that we have this information. Whatever we've historically done, we have to no longer do. Yeah, and yeah. that fear of having to change the way you live because it's always been wrong, and so then you have to say, "My parents were wrong. My teacher was wrong. Right. Why are we? Af- There's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, yeah. It's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to look at something and go, God damn, I, that we sure did that wrong." Mm-hmm. Well,
0: let's fix it. How dare it cost money to change right. the way that we feed our cattle? You know,
1: right? how dare right. you
0: tell people <laughs> what we were doing with the MBM, you know? Right, um, right. Yeah. So at the core of this trial is really about freedom of speech, right? Mm-hmm. This main question really came to the forefront when Oprah herself testified this is a little dramatized, and I got some quotes here from uh, a, a really good article in uh, Texas Monthly, which is great journalism. Um, so it was a foggy, cold morning in the third week of the trial. Oprah had her good friend and confidant with her, Maya Angelou. She was there to encourage Oprah. They held hands as she came into the court, and Maya Angelou whispered encouraging words to Oprah before she got onto the stand. And once she did, Engler's lawyer tore into her. So this is the quote from the article here that I'm going to read. After one particularly insistent line of repetitive questioning, Winfrey paused, peered at the lawyer, leaned into the microphone, and in a thrilling low voice thundered, Mr. Coyne, I provide a forum for people to express their opinions. This is the United States of America. We are allowed to do this in the United States of America."
1: It's interesting when people get caught in something mm-hmm. that make that asks them to be accountable as a voice to a generation, mm-hmm. uh, and they just go, "Quick, just say you got the, you can just you have free speech. Just say that you're fine." Um, <laughs> people really do fall it, on it, free speech a lot. To be, they do, instead of just yeah. saying, you know, and I, I mean, I feel like the, the court case itself didn't even have to happen if she maybe just came forth and said, you know what, I was not intending to be as flip as as it was. This, this is definitely affecting the industry. I'm here to tell you that I'm fearful of... Um, of anything. I, I'm, I, I, I don't want to get a disease. Yeah. I don't know how this works, how this generates. We want to revisit this by bringing in another expert, showing another side. We have a supplement to this episode. Uh, something that says to people, like, I, I want to be accountable because uh, I, I, I don't just love America. I love Americans. Uh, and Or not even I love Americans. I love people who live in America, regardless of what that status is and i want as much as i want everyone to feel free to sp- to speak freely i also want us to all have the same information and i am i am afforded this platform to give you those voices that you may not be able to hear anywhere else
0: and boiling it down to Oprah said the sentence, I'm no longer eating hamburgers, is really taking away so much that happened around it, right? With right. Howard Lyman saying the things that he said and then maybe them cutting out the other opinions and then, you know, who's fact-checking and, you know, all that. Right. Well, Delta. So would you rule for Oprah or against Oprah if you had to?
1: I mean, I think in this case, I would have to rule for Oprah just because if it's boiled down to just, I mean, it's the (laughs) law. The law is free speech. Right. Right. And I stand behind free speech. I wish it would not be abused and I wish there would be some accountability. But the reality is that we're looking at the law.
0: That's right. That's right. I have to go with the law. After six long weeks of trial... Oprah bursts out of the courthouse, right into a press conference, right in front of the courthouse, and she walks up to the microphone and says, free speech not only lives, it rocks. Which is really corny, but that was her (laughs) little phrase at the time. The judge found that Oprah, Howard Lyman, and Harpo Studios were not guilty of defaming ingler in the Texas cattle industry. And Oprah tells the world that this was an attempt to muzzle her voice and that she comes from a people who have struggled and died in order to have a voice in this country and that she refused to be muzzled. Mm.
1: I mean, also too that, I mean, you know, regardless of free speech, the the law that they were trying to defend their case with did not apply. So there's that. I mean, yeah,
0: I think had it, it would have been easier for them to actually sue, you know, Um, but mm -hmm. because I think that that the legal reasoning probably had more to do with the fact that she didn't call these people out specifically.
1: Right, right she didn't. I mean, that's
0: true. Engler, he also talks to the press and he says, from the word get go, there was nothing frivolous about this suit. We believe we made one point very strongly, very emphatically to everyone that U.S. beef is safe. And So some say this verdict was a referendum on Oprah's popularity and that the jury was biased because of her fame. But no matter the case, the beef industry really shot itself in the foot. Because it kept Mad Cow in the news and in the public conscience for way longer than it would have been had they never (laughs) really done anything. I guess so. And obviously, Oprah wins because she wins the case, right? But does she win our rivalry? I mean, yeah, I, I I
1: think she does. I mean, she she definitely utilized the law the way the law is set up to be used. Um, that's true. So she, she, yeah. she did everything fairly. Uh, when she got to Texas, she obviously was very respectful to the people of Texas. Yeah. I think that she, there was definitely situations where, uh, especially during the case where she was highly disrespected, uh, as mm-hmm. a person, I do wish for the cattle industry would have, investigated a little bit deeper and realized this law actually doesn't apply to you. Like we we have to talk about the semantics <laughs> right. of the law. The semantics right, of the right. law and the
0: reason that the law yeah, is the way it is. Like yeah. absolutely yeah.
1: excludes you from using this. Yeah. So yep. yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Oh, Oprah's always gonna win.
0: <laughs> she was
1: always gonna She's win. always gonna win everything.
0: Yes. Do you think that she should have just settled the case in the first place?
1: Uh, I don't don't think so. I don't think she was ever going to because I think she had smarter people on her side that knew a couple things are going to happen. You're going to win this case. And the other thing that's going to happen is you are going to win the hearts of the people as well. And we are about making a piece of entertainment. And we're going to utilize this to make it the most beautiful piece of entertainment that we can. And they they, they They knew knew that. that They knew that.
0: Right. I, I also think people say way wilder stuff on TV all the time. Oh, for sure. Know? And that it was just her reach. That I mean, okay. Here's another little part to it. I'm not totally sure that the cattlemen proved that she actually caused that dip. You it know, could have been a lot of things. like it could have been a lot of things, and that's one of the things they argued is that it could have been like a drought. It could have been this. It could have been that. Well, like causation is hard to show. Yeah. So it could have had to do with a lot of things, possibly. Probably. True. 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 I will say that the U.S. outlawed feeding cows MBM in 1997. So a year before the case came to wow. to be. So kind of what they were fighting about was done with anyway.
1: Right. Right.
0: <laughs> in my book, I think Oprah wins because she doesn't have a lake full of piss.
1: I think that's important. I think that's important. <laughs> She might have one. The Illuminati have a lot of things we don't know about.
0: You know, that's true. That's what they say. That is absolutely 100% true. Fact-checked. Right. And it's true that the Illuminati have big things.
1: From Something Else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is Fierce Rivalries, hosted by me, Delta Work.
0: And me, Kelsey Padgett. I also produce the show.
1: Gabriella Santana is our associate producer. Caitlin Pierce is our editor.
0: Our production coordinators are Sasonia Davenport, Tamika Balance Kolosny, and Lily Hambly. Our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. Josh Gibbs is our engineer. Our executive
1: producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Caitlin Pierce. TJ Raphael was our development producer.